I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Timeline Tapes. I'm Nate Fisher. I'm sure you know by now, but I'm part of the team behind the World History YouTube channel Timeline. And this is our podcast which takes films and TV shows from our channel and with some clever editing, turns them into podcasts. In this two-part episode, we're exploring the truth behind the mysterious Rasputin, Russia's own Antichrist. Because of the nature of the topic, there is some explicit language and sexual references throughout, so please be advised. The key voice for this show is one of the biggest names on TV at the moment. He's Logan Roy in succession. It's, of course, Brian Cox. Not that you could ever mistake that voice. Brian will be joined by historian Dan Healy of Swansea University, occult expert Adrian Bott, and author Colin Wilson. Grigory Rasputin was born here in Siberia, 10th of January, 1869. Its four and a half million square miles make it one of the largest and most remote pieces of land in the world. For generations, Russians had been using it as a dumping ground for all kinds of religious exiles and prisoners. It was home to holy men, healers, and secret religious sects. The first thing you need to think about with Siberia is this emptiness, this vast, isolated sort of space where there are very few people. Russians always viewed it as this kind of empty space that was there for them to fill up. They could never fill it, it was just too vast. They weren't very useful routes for traveling around the country. And I think that this contributed to the isolation that Russian communities felt in this very hostile, very cold landscape. Rasputin would certainly have uh, felt uh, part of that very cold, very isolated, kind of embattled sort of Russian frontier sort of uh, wild west, except of course the wild east. Rasputin's origin in the town of Pukrovsky undoubtedly played a very large part in the shaping of his character. Not only is it the very fringes of civilization where pagan shadows hang over everybody's lives, irrespective of the presence of official Christianity, it's also crushingly dull. So The young Rasputin, being as he was, a letter and drinker, would have felt a very strong desire to to be more than this, to break forth, to, to, to see something else. As a child, Rasputin began turning heads. His parents became disturbed by his constant visions of divine forces and by his ability to heal horses just by touching them. This was a time and a place that accepted magic and healing as a way of life. But many villagers were frightened of the child, convinced he had the devil in him. From fairly early on, I think he had a kind of reputation of peculiar person in his village. He certainly did have peculiar healing powers. He also um, 
just obviously had this ability to foresee the future in which stayed with him all his life. He'd just get sudden glimpses, I think, of things he absolutely knew to be true. By the age of 30, he'd married a local woman and had four children, but he'd also earned a reputation in the village as a drunken thief. He was accused of horse stealing and fled to the nearest monastery to lie low. His experience there was to change him forever. He spent several days at the monastery and uh, suddenly realized, you know, that he was basically a monk by temperament. In the monastery, his first contact with that ritualized form of religion, it must have been the opening of a door into a new world for him. And to Rasputin, that must have represented a dazzling promise, something he absolutely had to know more about, to get more involved with. Not only would it offer him the chance to entrench his own rather dissolute life in something deeper, it also opened the way to discovering new depths to reality. Rasputin stayed at the monastery for months and made friends with a man called Makari a famous wandering holy man who had advised Tsar Nicholas II and Empress Alexandra. For centuries, Russian rulers had believed that holy fools had access to God and could give divine advice to the Tsar. Rasputin decided immediately to follow in Makari's footsteps. He does up and leave his wife and, uh, and go wandering as a, a staryets, a, a wanderer. He sees the opportunity to go and explore religion, to explore spirituality as his way of coping with that isolation. By traveling, moving on, so that everything around you is transient, you become closer to that which is eternal. He would go on long walks, long pilgrimages between places, suffer the assaults of mosquitoes in marshy swamps, stand motionless for hours on end. For months, Rasputin didn't wash, change his clothes, or touch his body with his hands, sometimes wearing iron shackles to increase the hardship. He certainly wandered way south to Greece, to Mount Athos, and he certainly went to Kazan in these wanderings, which lasted for two or three years. To begin with, you know, he was starved a lot of the time. Uh, secondly, the sheer physical hardship of walking around a place as big as Russia, where you couldn't thumb a lift, must also have been tremendous. But the result of all this was that by the time he went back home, everyone in the village felt that there'd been a basic change in him. People who met him were certainly deeply impressed because they felt that he's achieved some kind of peculiar religious essence in these years of wandering. They met him once and they were deeply fascinated and regarded him as definitely a holy man. Many in the village began to suspect that there were deeper, darker reasons for the change in the young Rasputin. There was talk that during his wanderings he had fallen in with a secret sect called the Klisti. The Klisti were outlaws. This is, I think, a very significant point, that they were, like all the sects, uh, the offshoots of the Russian Orthodox Church. They were an underground movement. They were on the run. They were a kind of anti-church. And I think that if Rasputin was going to go wandering, 
in Siberia, he was definitely going to come up against them almost automatically. The Klisti had a very particular kind of worship that was nothing like the Orthodox Church. The Klisti gathered in crypts. Part of the service was dancing, and part of the service was flagellation. There were no priests, there were leaders who were laypersons. They would gather, they would sing, they would pray, and they would work themselves into a kind of frenzy, which they called vradienia, or ecstasy. And in the process of doing that, they would begin to dance and whirl about and become almost drunk on spinning. They actually called it spiritual beer, this dancing, this whirling. They were not intoxicated on physical substance, but on the very Holy Spirit itself. They would prophesy, they would become possessed by this divine force, speak in tongues, that sort of strange ululation. They began strange feeling, like after narcotic. And more dancing, more feeling, dancing, non-stop dancing, and they felt that they changed. At that point where they had actually sort of built themselves into a fever pitch, they would then fall on the ground. Then what began was a kind of congregational orgy where everybody just engaged in copulation with whoever was next to them. And there was sex going on all over the place. Many sect of Christ used this dancing and non-stop rela sex relations after. And um, it was very powerful sect uh, and very popular sect. These religious orgies were an essential part of the Klisti doctrine. They believed that by deliberately committing a carnal sin, they could repent more fervently and so get closer to God. They called it sinning to drive out sin. And it was an idea and a practice that Rasputin immediately seized hold of. For Rasputin, the idea of transcendence, the idea of all this energy flowing through the Ark was really seductive. These people were actually able to achieve peculiar mystical and religious states by going to these extremes. Now, I think that's what Rasputin had discovered. Extreme religious states that he was able to get into occasionally by going through what he felt to be sinful. Rasputin returned to Pokrovskaya and built a chapel in a pit beneath his house. He claimed to be a higher being, urged people to merge with him, and there were rumors that as part of a religious service, he would have sex with his congregation. He simply couldn't rest content with the levels that he'd come to. He had to be the source of the divine power. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Timeline Tapes, where we're continuing our journey to learn more about the notorious Rasputin. He'd seen visions all his life, but suddenly they became more intense. He appears to have seen a vision of the Virgin Mary, and she apparently told him to go to St. Petersburg, um, where he would help the imperial family. While on his travels, he had impressed a number of aristocrats and clerics, and word had spread 1,600 miles to St. Petersburg of a strange, wandering holy man with powers of clairvoyance and healing. The city was the ultimate seat of power and home to Tsar Nicholas II and the Empress Alexandra, two of the most powerful rulers in the world. Rasputin believed it was his destiny to be a holy fool, like Makari, an advisor to the Tsar and Tsarina. At the age of 34, he began the long journey west. By 1903, word had reached St. Petersburg of a powerful mystic from Siberia with luminous wild eyes and a maniac stare. This was the home of Tsar Nicholas II and his wife, the Empress Alexandra. The stage was set for Rasputin's arrival. St. Petersburg was definitely a very peculiar city at the beginning of the 20th century. The whole place um, was absolutely feverish with a peculiar mysticism. It was a place of great sexual permissiveness, even by continental standards. The newspapers of the time were full of advertisements for treatments for venereal disease. The aristocratic circles of the time were crazy for all things occult. This was a time of seances, Ouija boards, all sorts of theosophic and occult thought. So when news began to circulate that there was a mystical type with healing powers, the doors were open to grand dukes and duchesses and to acquaintances of the Tsar himself. While traveling through Russia, 
Rasputin had secured a letter of introduction to the Tsar's father confessor. He became convinced that Rasputin was a clairvoyant and immediately introduced him to a fanatical monk called Iliador and a powerful bishop called Hermogen. Bishop Hermogen was one of the most widely loved and liked men um, in St. Petersburg. Uh, and he had a tremendous influence. Iliador was shocked by Rasputin's filthy appearance and pungent smell. But Hermogen saw this as evidence of his natural wisdom. His direct manner and ability to heal made Hermogen embrace him as a true holy man, referring to him simply as the saint. Aristocratic salons soon became both electrified and terrified by his presence, with everyone talking of the blazing gaze of his magnetic, light-colored eyes. He turns up in the salons, in the palaces in St. Petersburg. I think his immediate attraction is that he's a curiosity. He's this rather bedraggled figure with a long beard that had remnants of food in it. People said he smelt like a goat. He didn't seem to have any respect for authority, so he would pick his nose and he would tell women that they were too ostentatious in their wealth. And yet, at the same time, he had hypnotic eyes. People said that he could dilate his um, eyes at will. All sorts of society ladies found a magnetic charm, even perhaps a sexual attraction, simply in his physical appearance. He was an individual of tremendous high dominance. Now, Rasputin was undoubtedly a king rat. King rats are the sort of person that women adore simply because um, they feel, you know, one, one glance from his eyes, one order snapped by him, and I shall turn to jelly. <laughs> While Rasputin entertained aristocrats, Tsar Nicholas and the Empress were holding regular seances with two Montenegrin princesses. Known as the Crows, they were fascinated by the occult and constantly supplied the royal couple with mystics they had met on their travels. Alexandra was a very, very superstitious woman, and she had been through the mill with various kinds of mystics and um, holy men and so on before Rasputin came on the scene. The big search for her was, of course, she wanted a son. She wanted to provide Russia with an heir. What you have to take into account, first of all, is that Alexandra herself was a silly bitch. Um, it's a great pity that um, she married somebody who was almost as stupid as she was. Now, he just was not suitable to be a czar at all, an intensely shy person. They just should not have been in charge of a great empire. Disastrous. When Alexandra finally gave birth to her son, Alexei, she was convinced it was the result of divine intervention brought about by the help of a mystic charlatan called Dr. Philippe. Before his death, Philippe had promised her that someone was coming who would take his place. She adored anyone that she felt, you know, was, um, was some kind of holy man or healer. Um, she just went absolutely overboard. And this is what happened in the case of Rasputin. On November the 1st, 1905, the Crows finally introduced Rasputin to the royal couple at a private dinner. That night, the Tsar noted in his diary, we have made the acquaintance of a man of God named Grigori. They needed simple peasant types, who they thought were more holy than cosmopolitan St. Petersburg people, to 
buttress their regime. So they were automatically on the lookout for wanderers who had the touch of God, who might sanctify their power. And of course, once the Tsarevich had been shown to be hemophiliac, they supposed that a holy man could cure him. After years of waiting for a son and heir, the Tsarevich, Alexei's fatal condition, was a personal tragedy for the royal couple and threatened the stability of the entire Russian dynasty. The illness was kept a state secret, but on a later visit to the palace, Rasputin boldly asked to see their son. What happened next was to secure Rasputin's position as one of the most important figures in Russian history. It was really quite a remarkable occasion. He asked if he could pray over their son. And at the same time, he seemed to know what was wrong with him. So you can imagine their reaction when this peasant from Siberia walks in and claims to know exactly what is wrong with their child. Alexei was in the middle of one of his crises. He'd been bleeding for some time from a knee injury. He knew that he could do this quite easily. He knew that he could cure. He'd done it so often. He would go deeper and deeper inside himself until suddenly he'd become totally oblivious of his surroundings. And it was in that state that he contacted some hidden strength, some hidden power inside him, and knew that he could actually cure. The next morning, he wakes up and is completely cured. Proof in um, the minds of the royal couple of a miracle. Haemophilia was completely incurable. So anything or anybody that could cure that disease would instantly make that person amazingly powerful as far as the royal couple were concerned, and particularly as far as Alexandra was concerned. Rasputin would later tell them that without him, the child would die. Within months, he had free reign of the royal palace, visiting the royal couple uninvited and referring to the Tsar and Tsarina as Mama and Papa. We know from his own braggings that he had unlimited access to the daughters, and he meant access to be understood ambiguously. We know that he met the Empress on an almost weekly basis and could be summoned to her um, at all times of day and night. So he was an intimate, a confidant. He treated Zarina herself. Zarina was an incredible, nervous person. And Rasputin was the only man who was able to take off her headaches, who gave her opportunity to relax. It became known just how much influence he had at the royal court, that he had the ear of the Tsarina herself, and that a word from Rasputin in those ears could achieve just about anything that you desired. So currying favour with Rasputin was a pretty much direct route straight to the Tsar and Tsarina.
Rasputin moved into this apartment in Gorokhovaya Street. People were soon queuing up to be near the strange holy peasant who was intimate with the Tsar and the Empress. This is his power base, really. He didn't just live here. And this is where he entertained numerous visitors. This is where the little ladies would come, his prostitutes, his female devotees from all levels of the social spectrum. He called them his fools, those who needed to be educated to see the spiritual light. It was here that Rasputin began developing his own religious doctrine, based on ideas and practices he had learned from the Khlisti in Siberia. He encouraged his fools to sin with him, so that their forgiveness afterwards would bring them closer to God, and there was no shortage of eager volunteers. They would have a strange ritual of eating and drinking when they were assembled for one of Rasputin's salons. They would all sit around with Rasputin in the center by the table with all the offerings upon it. It was uh, not part in Rasputin, uh, in Rasputin flat. It was religious service. They sit in the chair and he was sitting center. And time to time, he began to speak something, and they immediately tried to write it. They tried to catch his words. They became sect. They did not understood it. They became typical sect. There would be seductions that these women would have passed through his special back room, where the first of the sexual advances would take place. I went to see Rasputin. He sat down across from me, placing my legs between his knees. Someone terrifying and ruthless was gazing at me from the depths of those eyes. Without sin there is no life, because there is no repentance. And if there is no repentance, there is no joy. You want me to show you what sin is? He pulled me into the bedroom and tore off my dress as we went. The next moment, he was nothing but savage animal desire. The last thing I remember is his tearing off my underwear. Then I passed out. I woke up and found myself lying on the ground, torn and defiled. Thanks for listening to Timeline Tapes. Next week, we'll have the second part of our episode on Rasputin, but if you can't wait to learn more, you can head to our YouTube channel, where we have a wide variety of documentaries that you can get your teeth into. If you want to reach out to Timeline Tapes, you can email us at timeline at little.studios.com, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Those are both at TimelineWH. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and write a review as well. I've been Nate Fisher. This has been Timeline Tapes. Let's go down in history together.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.